Yeah. Well, good morning, Weymouth. Good morning. Hey, that was good. I like that. Thank you. Uh, welcome once again. Uh, thanks for joining us for worship. Uh, my name is Chris. I'm the pastor. If I haven't had a chance to, to greet you, we're really glad you're here. I'd love to talk with you more after the service. Uh, but as we get started, we'll take a, a few moments uh, just to prepare our hearts for worship, and, and we do that just, just in silent prayer together. So please bow and pray with me. David prays in Psalm 103, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits, who forgives all your iniquity, who heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit, who crowns you with steadfast love and mercy, who satisfies you with good, so that your youth is renewed like the eagle's. Father, we pray that you'll do that in our own hearts this morning, that uh, you'll help us to, to bless your name, to praise your name, and as we do so, that you'll help us to, to speak uh, the gospel to our own hearts, to speak the, the good news of, of who you are, of how you are full of steadfast love and mercy, how you've redeemed our lives from the pit in Christ. Lead us to praise you, to forget not your benefits, your blessings in Christ, but to sing out all the more because of who you are, because of all you've done for us and our Savior, in whose name we pray, amen. Amen. Well, please stand, and we'll sing together. All right, well, good morning, everyone. Um, I thought I should uh, introduce our, our guest here today. I haven't done that in the past, but I feel like I probably should start doing that. Um, this is a familiar face to, to many of you, I'm sure. This is Marcy. She's been up here a couple times. Um, she helps out um, with Parkside's youth group as well. Um, yeah, she, she helps me with music there as well. And this is Jonathan over here on piano. Um, he is an instrumental part of Parkside's main service in their worship, and thankfully he was able to volunteer his time today to, uh, to come play with us. So, um, yeah, looking forward to worshiping with you guys here this morning. Thank you. 
have a few uh, announcements to make you aware of uh, this morning and our church family. Uh, first, I just want to say thanks to everybody who participated, who, who served uh, as part of our fall festival yesterday. Uh, it was a great time uh, of uh, gathering together as a church family and hanging out and doing trunk or treat and soccer and pumpkin painting and having hot chocolate and hot cider, but it was also a great chance to open our doors to the community, uh, to have families and people and kids coming through to 
to get candy. I know my kids got probably way too much candy, um, so we're dealing with that at home. Uh, uh, it's an ongoing struggle, but we're, we're making it through, but we're just really grateful for, for that opportunity we had yesterday. God was gracious with the weather. The fields were a little muddy for the kids playing soccer, but I think they dealt with it all right. Um, so thank you to everyone who was a part of that yesterday. Uh, in, a, in a similar spirit today, we've announced in our bulletin that on uh, Sunday, December 17th, uh, during the worship service, we are uh, having what we are calling just the Weymouth Kids Christmas Celebration. And what this is, is that during the service, our normal service on that Sunday, the 17th, uh, we're going to have our, our Weymouth Kids come and, and sing a few, a few Christmas songs for us during the service. Uh, so that's going to be a great chance for if you have grandparents, aunts, uncles, friends, neighbors, and you'd like to invite them to come and, and see the kids sing, uh, hear them sing a couple songs. That'll be a great opportunity to invite them then. Uh, the kids are already learning the songs in Weymouth Kids on Sunday mornings and Wednesday nights, so you can be asking them about that if you have a kid in that ministry, and then they'll, they'll sing them for us during the service. And then after the service on the 17th, we'll have uh, Christmas cookies and hot chocolate and things like that in the community room, so we'll invite everyone to stick around, hang out, enjoy some, some Christmas fun together. Uh, so that's a great chance, again, to invite family and friends, invite the community to come in um, to celebrate our kids, to celebrate Christmas. And that's the 17th, so that's the week before Christmas Eve, because we know uh, Christmas Eve and that weekend will be kind of crazy for people, so we'll be doing that a week before. Uh, so stay tuned for that. And then also this Wednesday, we have uh, two different things uh, going on. Uh, the first thing is we are, are gathering at Whitehall, Columbia, in Columbia Station at 5.30 to decorate our Christmas tree for Oasis of Hope. Uh, we've agreed to, to sponsor a Christmas tree for Oasis of Hope, which is a, a crisis pregnancy center, uh, a ministry for, for moms and, and dads uh, and people who are in need here in Medina. And so they're having a, a fundraiser this Friday, a Christmas tree auction. So we've sponsored a tree. We're going to meet uh, Wednesday at 5.30 at Whitehall, Columbia to decorate that tree. Uh, we chose from a list of themes. We chose a superhero theme. And there's a lot of big Marvel fans out, out in this church, but I hope there might be a few DC stalwarts to help me uh, get a, a DC side of the tree going. We'll see. Um, but we'll be meeting at from 5.30 to 7 to do that, to decorate. And uh, we have invited our, our Weymouth kids, our, our Weymouth students, and our, and our Parent Connect ministry. We'll all be going there this Wednesday. Um, so instead of having those three ministries here at the church on Wednesday, we'll be meeting at Whitehall, Columbia to decorate with kids, students, parents, um, that'll be happening in anticipation of the fundraiser Friday night. So if you want to join us, you can join us at Whitehall, Columbia, 5.30 to 7. Uh, but then also Wednesday night here at the church, uh, Russ Kinnebrew, who normally leads uh, a prayer meeting on Wednesday nights at 6.30, he's going to uh, hold his prayer meeting here still at 6.30. Uh, but in particular, he's, he's going to hold a prayer meeting specifically uh, focused on the upcoming election in November. And so we'll be spending some time together uh, praying for the election, praying for uh, what's coming up in a couple weeks. Uh, hopefully it'll be a good, uh, good space for people to come, bring questions, uh, have some discussions, share some thoughts on how we can be praying and, and educating ourselves and, and acting together towards this issue. And I hope you know that as, as we anticipate an election like this and, and in this season, I hope you know that the door is always open to come and talk to me as a pastor, to come and talk to one of the elders about any questions, concerns, fears, confusion you might have surrounding some of the issues on the ballot or on any ballot uh, in the future. Um, I'm not a political expert. I don't think any of our elders claim to be political experts, right? But we'd be happy to, to think with you, to talk with you, to pray with you about any thoughts, questions you might have. Uh, and we'd probably learn a lot from you as well ourselves. So know that that door is always open. Know that we'll be meeting this Wednesday at 6.30 to pray, particularly for 
for the upcoming election. We'll also be meeting at Whitehall, Columbia to decorate the tree at 5.30. If you have any other questions and thoughts about that, you can come talk with me uh, anytime. So that's, uh, those are some things coming up. And now uh, what I want to do is uh, really, really what is, is, is an overdue for some of you, a long overdue uh, membership recognition. This is something we do occasionally. We should probably do more frequently where we uh, recognize uh, people who've become members uh, recently. And as we do that, I just want to read briefly from uh, the book of Ephesians, from the book of Ephesians chapter 4. Let's see if I can get there in my Bible here. Got it? Okay. So in Ephesians chapter 4, Paul writes this. And he gave the apostles and the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. And that's a verse we read at our, our membership class. And what's, what's striking about that verse is how God, in his grace, he hasn't just given us salvation in Christ as individuals, but he has knit us together into one body, into one structure, one family, into the church. And, and he's done so so that we can help uh, equip one another for the works of ministry, so that we can help build one another up together as members of the body of Christ until we attain, until we attain mature manhood, the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, the unity uh, of the knowledge of the Son of God. And so Paul highlights two things. He highlights unity and maturity. He says he's given the church, he's given the church leaders, he's given the church uh, members to be uh, this, this, this growing agent, this building agent in one another's lives to help us grow in the unity we already share in Christ, to grow in that unity of knowing Christ together, but then also to help each other grow towards maturity in Christ, to grow towards growing in him, being established in him, being equipped to go out and do ministry together for him. And so what membership is in the church is it's, 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 it's people who have been part of the church who want to come along and, and make the formal commitment to say, yes, I want to be a part of this church family. I want to play a role in growing together in unity, growing together in maturity. And I want to take that formal step of becoming a member, of, of coming under the leadership, of officially becoming a part of the family here. And so it's a great gift God has given to us, and we are excited uh, that we've had a number of people over this past year take that step. So uh, if, you've, if you've taken that over the past year, I'd invite you guys to come on up to the front uh, now. We'd just like to, uh, to introduce you to go down the line here. We'll grab a mic. Year to year and a half, yeah, fair. <laughs> For more, like I said, some of you, it's a little overdue. Um, <laughs> just, a, just a little overdue. All right, you guys. Cool. Well, let's maybe start on this side, and I'll just ask each of you to introduce yourselves. Just maybe say your name, uh, if you're connected to, to any other family here in the church, uh, how long you've been a part of Weymouth, and then if there's maybe if you'd like to share a particular ministry or study or, or part of the church life here that's been. Uh, a particular encouragement to you. So maybe we'll start on my left here. Hi, my name is Erdi Petrovich. Uh, my wife and I moved here about two years ago from a little town called Reminderville. If you never heard of Reminderville, it's near Twinsburg, Aurora, uh, and Solon, mm. and also near to Parkside Church, where we, we were members there since 1995. We moved here, and we were looking for a church locally where we live and for some reason each church we visited the Lord said that not, 
not this one, not this one. Mm. And I was talking to a friend, a uh, dear friend from Parkside, the um, a music uh, ministry, uh, Ruth Jurgemeyer. Mm -hmm. And she said, you know, uh, Pastor Chris Durbin opened a church out here near you. It was like old home week. Cause <laughs> we, uh, I used to sing in the ministry, a music ministry at Parkside, and I knew I sang with his mom. <laughs> so I said, wow, there's a connection. Hmm. So part of family there. Absolutely. Absolutely. And then uh, we came here, and uh, it was like visiting home. The mm -hmm. uh, people were so friendly, the greeters. Uh, mm -hmm. the, even the pews looked similar to what Parkside's look like. <laughs> <laughs> it's like coming home. So yeah. uh, we're very happy to join mm -hmm. the church. We've been coming here since February. Mm -hmm. We went through the classes. And the, I hope to be active in the music ministry mm -hmm. or maybe some other ministry, maybe the care ministry or something, because yeah. I used to be a lay minister and did that visit the hospital. Mm -hmm. So with that, we thank you and welcome. Thank welcome. you, guys. Thank you, Ernie Carolyn. We're really glad you're here. If I can correct one thing, uh, I think Weymouth opened its doors in like 1835. So, so I don't think I was around in 1835. Uh, so this church has a, has a wonderful long history that we're really glad you guys are, are part of here. We're really happy to have you. Now, who are you? My name is Laura Durbin. Um, I do have some family here. I'm married to him, mm -hmm. <laughs> if you didn't know that. Yeah. Um, we have two daughters, Riley and Lily. Riley is six, and Lily is three and a half, yeah. going on 13 and a half. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, let's see, we've been here for over a year and a half now. Something like that, yeah. I don't know, something. Yeah. And I became a member right around that time, but they're just, we weren't doing one of these, and I didn't want to do one just for me. So <laughs> we waited until I had some friends. Yeah. Um, and then the thing that encouraged me probably the most so far has been um, Sharon Golas led a study on the book Unoffendable by Brant Hansen. So if you've never read the book, I highly recommend it. It's great for reading on your own or discussing in a group, um, but we all really benefited from that time together on Thursday evenings, studying the book Unoffendable by Brant Hansen. And um, I think we really bonded as a group of women, and um, it was really good accountability to learn how to engage with um, Christians and non-Christians in a way that when we hear certain things, we don't react first as offended, but giving grace and kindness to others. So, yeah. Yeah, thank you. I'm glad you're here, too. Yeah. We're glad you're both here. Oh, <laughs> I'm glad you're here. <laughs> My name is Judy Kirsch. Um, I actually started attending Weymouth years ago when Pastor Wolf was at Weymouth and attended several years while he was here, and then he left and I left. Uh, I was involved in several other churches in between, but mostly I was involved in the summer camping ministry that I'm still involved in. Mm. Came back to Weymouth about two and a half years ago and found it delightful that people from mm. the same old Weymouth, friendly, open, mm. Bible-based, terrific. Um, been involved in uh, helping a vacation Bible school in the summer and uh, go to the ladies' Bible study on Thursday morning, and it's great. If you haven't done that or are able, you're missing a rare opportunity mm. to study God's Word. So I've been very thankful to be back. Yeah. Well, I'm glad you're here, Judy. My name is Joyce Osterhan. I don't have family here, but I feel like I'm part of the family because for mm. 32 years, Weymouth supported me when I was in South America. Mm. 
and so I wasn't here for a while. I lived in Arizona for a while caring for my parents and I came here and I became a member when Jude became a member. And things that um, really impressed me here are how bad I am at remembering names. I keep trying <laughs> and writing little notes to myself about how somebody looks so I can remember their name. Everybody's friendly and it's really good for that. I enjoy working in the nursery. Mm. I love little kids and little bigger mm. kids too. Not mm. teenagers so much, but anyway. That, I get that, I get that. That's what she does, so <laughs> I'm okay with the little ones. Um, mm. And I love our Bible study also. Mm. And I guess that's it. Yeah. Thank you, Joyce. We're really glad you're here. Thank you. Hi, I'm Margaret Springer. Um, I moved here four months ago, so I started going to Weymouth. Um, I used to go to Parkside, the Lakewood campus. Mm. And um, so I checked some churches and finally asked my pastor, and he recommended here, and I could just see the, the, the way that they both were the same, focus on the word. Mm. Uh, something I really, really love is that how Pastor Chris has all the children come up, and I love that because what did Jesus say? Let the children come to me. And I just really was so good. <laughs> I pray for more youth to join. Um, I do do uh, Russ's uh, Bible's study on Sunday morning before the service here, which I truly enjoy. Um, I also uh, signed up for a nursery, which I haven't started yet. <laughs> so a little, you know, but... I, I, I'm appreciative that everybody really made me feel welcome here. Mm. Thank you. Thank you, Margaret. Thanks for being here. Yeah. My name is Lori Lynch. I started attending the ladies' Bible study on Thursday mornings during my, because I'm, I wasn't working during the week. My schedule changed. I'm no longer able to attend the ladies' Bible study, but I'm fortunately able to come to service now. But the ladies' Bible study on Thursday mornings and also the one that Laura had mentioned, Thursday evening with the unoffendable, those two, they're both made such an impression on me and they're both such a major blessing and I echo what she said. If you are, if you are available on Thursday morning, join the ladies' Bible study. It's very encouraging and you learn a lot. And I'm glad to be here. And I also have a background. I also visited Parkside off and on over a period of 20 years, and that was just mm. the icing on the cake. <laughs> Coming back to Weymouth with such a loving family, uh, Bible-based, very strong Christian church, and mm. then also to have um, Chris and Laura from Parkside. It, mm. It's just an added blessing. It's Wade and Bernice Day. Uh, two years ago, about this time, Bernice was introduced to the ladies' Bible study. And through that, we were searching at that point for a home church. And I watched online. At that point, Adam was mm -hmm. preaching, and I watched online, and uh, we decided that we would, uh, we would visit. And we visited in November, actually, just about this time. It was probably another couple of weeks we would, have, we would have come. And uh, we never left. And uh, so... Uh, Lord is blessed. Uh, Bernice continued going to the ladies' Bible study, and uh, I've been involved in the men's prayer breakfast on Saturday mornings and involved with Russ' uh, Sunday school class. We both go to the Sunday school class on Sunday mornings. Uh, we have six kids and 15 grandkids. The kids are spread out everywhere. Uh, we have one in Alaska, one in Idaho, one in Tennessee, one in Georgia, and two here. Nice. 
Good memory. Very good. Very good. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Well, we, we, we don't take it for granted that anyone would want to take this step of membership here, so we, we really appreciate you guys taking that step, and, um, and we're glad that you've, you've committed to be part of this church family, and, and, and we're happy to hear how you're involved in, in so many different ways, and so uh, we just want to greet you and welcome you. If you guys could uh, give a round of applause to our, our newest members. Thank you. <laughs> and I'll say this too, if anybody has any questions about memberships for themselves, uh, we, we try and do periodic membership classes, but you don't have to wait till the next class. You can always come talk to me, send me an email. Uh, we can get you a copy of our application and, and start the process that way as well. But uh, we'd, we'd love to see, see more people take this step because we, we're really grateful to be united together as a church family here. So let me just close by uh, praying for us. Well, faithful Father, we thank you for this church family. Uh, we thank you for the gift of the church that uh, you unite us together as the body of Christ, that even though we come to faith as individuals, uh, that you uh, unite us with our brothers and sisters uh, in Christ, that you bring us into these local uh, bodies where we can worship together, serve together, grow together in your word. We can go out together to, to share the gospel with others. So I thank you for these members. I thank you for uh, other members who are here or those who are considering membership. Uh, we thank you for the the step that they've taken, the commitment that they've made to this church body for the ways that they're involved. And we pray that you'll uh, continue to use them to use ministries like the women's Bible study, like Russ's class, like the men's breakfast and uh, youth ministries, children's ministries, and, and even more, use the relationships and, and use ultimately your word as we speak it, as we share it together in a variety of ways. Use it to grow us in unity, to grow us towards maturity in Christ, to celebrate and live out who we are in him who we are together as brothers and sisters, as the body of Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, thank you, guys. You can have a seat. Thank you for this. And then, as, as, as Margaret pointed out, it's time for the uh, kids to come on up to the front. We'll uh, come on up and, and do our time in the catechism together. Oh, what are you going to do? What are you going to say? What are you going to do? Oh, a little spin move on you there. Gotcha that time. All right. Well, guys, we only have a few more weeks uh, in our catechism, right? We only have a couple more weeks. We're almost done. We'll finish it before Christmas, I believe. Don't ask me what we're doing next because I do not know. Um, but we'll, we'll do our next question this morning. But before we read the question, I have a question for you guys. Raise your hand if you've ever been part of a team. If you've ever been part of a team, like a soccer team, a basketball team, a baseball team, a math team. Is that a thing? Are math teams a thing? Soccer teams. No, they're not. Okay. I don't know. I'm pretty sure I made it up. Um, soccer teams, right. Now let me ask you this question. Is a, is, a team, is a team one person or is it more than one person? More than one person. A lot of people, right? Right. A hundred. A hundred people? That's a big soccer team. That's a lot of soccer players. Um, right? So a team is, is one thing, but it's made up of lots of people, right? Like a hundred people, right? It's made up of individuals. Now, what, what makes those, all those different people, what, what makes them a team? What unites them together as a team? What do you think? Uh, what is the thing that makes a team a team? Yeah. Jerseys. Jerseys, right? Sometimes you wear the same jersey. Absolutely. Any other thoughts about what makes a team? When a team gets together, what are they trying to do together? Yeah. Yeah, they're playing a game together. They're uh, on the same side of a, of a game, whether it's soccer or basketball. And what's the goal of that game? 
Well, you try to score goals. You try to score goals. Yeah, you try to score points, score goals, hit runs, right? I don't know if that's correct. Score runs. I forget baseball, how that works. I played it for 11 years. Get no home big deal. runs. Uh, get home runs, yeah. That's right. That's exactly right. I should have known that. Um, right? And so if you're on a team, right, you might be united because you wear the same jersey, because you're, you're playing the same game, because you have the same goal, the same mission, right? Because you're, you're trying to win the game together as a team. And I think that's a helpful image for us, as we've already been talking about this morning, when we think about the church, what the church is. Uh, and so we're going to read our question this morning, which is this. What is the church? A church is a community chosen for eternal life and united by faith who love, follow, learn from, and worship God together. And so the church is a community of people. It's, it's not just one person. A church is, is a bunch of people, right? It's a, it's a group of people who have come to faith in Jesus. But even though we're a group of, of individuals, we're also united. And we're not united because we're all wearing the same clothes or because we're all playing a game together. We're united uh, by our shared faith in Jesus. That we're united because we want to love Jesus. We want to follow him. We want to learn from him and worship God together. And so as a church, we are a group of people from lots of different places, different ages, different stages of life, but we've all been chosen. We've all been uh, accepted by God if we've trusted in Jesus through faith in Jesus. So then we're united in loving him and learning from him together. We're united in the mission of, of sharing his love with other people. And so just like a team is, is one beautiful thing made up of a bunch of individuals, so the church is one even more beautiful thing made up of, of a, a bunch of, of Christians who are united together to love God, to learn from him, to, to grow together, to share other people with him. And so we're all part of the same team here. Whatever city we come from, whatever age we are, uh, whatever we do in our lives, we're all part of one team. And that's a beautiful, amazing, wonderful thing, right? So we can be united and we can go out on the same mission and worship God and learn from him together. Does that make sense? Yeah, any questions? Good? All right. Well, let me pray for us. Father, we thank you for uh, this gift again of, of this body we're united into through faith in Christ. Help us to, to love you together, to praise you together, to learn from your word together, and to go and share that word uh, as a team with those who don't yet know you, Lord. Help us to live out this unity and this mission we have in Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen. Amen. All right. Well, you guys can go. You can go back and sit with your parents, and then we will uh, we'll stand and sing another song together. So please stand and sing with us. All right, so it's about that time again where we learn a new song. Um, so this is, it's called Christ Our Hope in Life and Death. Um, it's another song written by the Gettys. Um, this is a fantastic example of our foundation of belief as Christians, um, our, Christ being our hope in life and death. I mean, it's, it, I would encourage you as we, as we um, at least as we're going through this first verse in the chorus to really um, listen, pay attention to the lyrics um, as you're getting used to um, the new song. But I would just encourage you to um, really think about what the lyrics are saying and, and what they mean here. So. Our days within his hands. 
Father God, we just come before you um, confessing our sins, Lord. Um, we are sinful people, but uh, Lord, we also confess that your Son, um, Jesus Christ, is our hope in life and death. Um, Lord, we, we thank you that uh, while we were still sinners, Christ died for our sins. Lord, we thank you for that, for that incredible message of hope. Lord, I thank you that we can come together and just praise and worship you today. Lord, I pray that as we continue in our worship through... Um, through learning in your word, Lord, I pray that you would be with Pastor Chris and, um, and just all his preparation throughout the week, Lord, that, um, that you would speak, speak in him and through him um, and to us, Lord, pray that we would open up our hearts to your message here this morning. Lord, near I pray. Amen. 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 You may be seated. Well, I want to invite you to turn in your Bibles to the book of Jonah. The book of Jonah, I think there's some... Bibles in the pews, some Bibles in the back. If you, if you don't have one with you, there's also no shame in, in using your phone. Um, even if it starts talking to you, just watch out for that. Um, Jonah chapter 2, we are, are going along in our series here in the book of Jonah. Jonah is one of the 12 minor prophets that come towards the end of the Old Testament after the book of Obadiah, before the book of Micah. Um, we're, we're, we're doing this series in Jonah here, and, and uh, as we go through it, we'll, we'll wrap it up in a couple weeks, and then we'll, we'll just continue on, actually, and go through the book of Micah together as we go through the, the Christmas, the, the Advent season. Uh, so we'll, we'll be taking this, this prophet and then, and then another minor prophet uh, after that. But uh, this morning, join me in, in Jonah chapter 2. I appreciated uh, uh, AJ uh, introducing that new song because I think that song uh, carries a lot of themes uh, that are shared in, in there we go, in, uh, in Jonah chapter 2, um, right? There's, there's a lot of similar themes about the, the, the hope we have, even in the face of death, ultimately in Christ. Um, so Jonah chapter 2, you can follow along as I read. I'm going to read the end of chapter 1 for us, and then I'll, I'll, I'll read chapter 2. So it says this, And the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. Then Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from the belly of the fish, saying, I called out to the Lord out of my distress, and he answered me. Out of the belly of Sheol I cried, and you heard my voice. For you cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas. And the flood surrounded me. All your waves and your billows passed over me. Then I said, I am driven away from your sight, yet I shall look I shall again look upon your holy temple. The waters closed in over me to take my life. The deep surrounded me. Weeds were wrapped about my head at the roots of the mountains. I went down to the land whose bars closed upon me forever. Yet you brought up my life from the pit, O Lord my God. When my life was fainting away, I remembered the Lord, and my prayer came to you into your holy temple. Those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love. But I, with the voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you what I have vowed I will pay. Salvation belongs to the Lord. And the Lord spoke to the fish, and it vomited Jonah out upon the dry land. Amen. This is God's word. 
Please pray with me. Merciful Father, as we come to your word together this morning, we ask that you'll help us to understand it. You'll help us to to see through this prayer who you are more clearly. Show that into our own hearts. You'll lead us to trust you more deeply, even as we face depths and uh, the depths of distress in our own life, even as we live in a world of death. Show us the life that is ours in Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, uh, like, like many kids, I grew, up, uh, I grew up in the 90s watching a lot of Disney movies, right, watching a lot of Disney movies, and, and I loved a lot of them, but uh, one that absolutely terrified me uh, was the movie Pinocchio, the movie Pinocchio. Listen, I don't know if you've seen, I don't know if you've seen the movie Pinocchio in a while, but that, that movie is a horror movie. Right? I don't know if you remember this. Like, right? Think about it. There's a scene where a bunch of boys turn into donkeys. Right? They transform into donkeys. That, that is a nightmare. That is nightmare fuel right there. Right? That is a terrifying movie. Uh, they've made like, recent live action. I can't, even, I can't even go there. I can't even try to watch them because it terrified me so much as a kid. That part with the donkeys. But another part that terrified me in the movie is there's a part where, where, where Pinocchio and his dad, Geppetto, they're in, in the water in a storm for some reason. I can't remember. And they get swallowed up by a giant whale, right? A giant whale comes out and it's beautifully uh, painted and illustrated and it swallows them up and they live in the belly of the whale for a while. And it just, it absolutely freaked me out as a kid, right? Uh, And I thought about that this week because similarly here in Jonah chapter two, we have an account of Jonah himself being swallowed by a whale, by a giant fish. We have an account of what happens as he's in the belly of the great fish for three days and three nights. And what happens is Jonah is in the, the, the whale is actually pretty surprising. Jonah prays. He prays and his prayer is given to us as, as if it's a psalm, as if it's, it, it, he's given to us as, as a poem, as a prayer uh, of repentance and deliverance and praise. Now, I don't know about you, but if I was Pinocchio or Geppetto, if I was Jonah swallowed by a whale and inside the belly of a fish, I don't know that I would be praying a prayer of praise and deliverance the way that Jonah does here. And this really struck me this week of of Jonah here. He's confessing his distress. He's confessing the depths of his suffering. But then in the midst of that, he turns to the Lord. He turns to praise God for his deliverance. And that really struck me because I don't know if that, that imagery from Pinocchio would just, was stuck in my head, but I feel like most of my life when I've read the story of Jonah being swallowed by the, the whale, I've always, I've always seen it as, as a story about punishment, as a story about God doing something fearful in the life of Jonah to get his attention, to, to discipline him. And there's certainly an element of that in the text here. But but what really struck me this week is that Jonah, he's led to pray in the belly of the fish, not because the whale is primarily an agent of terror, but because the whale is primarily an agent of mercy. Mercy. God uses this fish, he used it to mercifully save Jonah's life, to deliver him from certain death when he was cast into the sea. And so Jonah, he's praying here in chapter 2, he's praying as somebody who has been miraculously delivered from death. But he's also praying as someone who is still strangely in this place of death, this place between life and death, in the belly of the fish. He's in a sort of, of tomb here. And so Jonah's prayer is a response to God's surprising mercy. His circumstances in the belly of the fish, they lead him to cry out to God with a renewed understanding that even in the depths of death, 
salvation belongs to the Lord. Even in the depths of death, salvation belongs to the Lord. And maybe you're here this morning, and you too, like Jonah, feel overwhelmed. You feel submerged, cast into the depths of death or despair. Maybe you feel like your world has been cut off, like the bars of hope have been, uh, cut, have been closed upon you forever. Maybe that's what you're feeling this morning because of your circumstances, or because of your own actions, or because of the state of the world. But wherever you're at this morning, our hope is that Jonah's prayer here in this text will be a light for you in the darkness, that it will be a reminder for all of us of God's mercy even in the midst of the greatest miseries, that even in the depths of death, salvation belongs to the Lord. And we see this in Jonah's prayer as it's organized for us into three sections or three stanzas. You, you poets out there, you music people out there might be familiar with the idea of, of stanzas, of couplets. Uh, but anytime you read language in the Bible like this, or the literature in the Bible like this, that comes to us in the form of a poem, that comes to us in the form of poetry, one of the ways that we can make sense of it is by looking to the different uh, elements of, of poetry, of, of music, things like stanzas, couplets, imagery, parallelism. Anytime you come to a passage of scripture, you always want to think, what kind of literature am I reading? Is it a narrative? Is it a poem? Is it a, is it a discourse? Is it an epistle? And, and because knowing what kind of genre you're reading helps you make sense of the text. And what's interesting here in chapter two is that while Jonah is primarily a narrative book of the Bible, it's a story, here in chapter two, it's, it changes and it moves and it becomes a poem. It, we have a chapter of poetic literature. And so looking at how it's organized around the imagery, around the stanzas, the couplets, the parallels, can help us make sense of how this passage is structured. And when we do that, when we look to these things, we can see that Jonah's poetic prayer is, is organized into these three sections and these three stanzas that we can maybe organize or, or summarize in this way. First, first, we have the first stanza of God's mercy in distress. In verses 2 to 4, God's mercy in distress Secondly, we have God's mercy in the depths in verses 5 to 7. And then finally, we have God's mercy in deliverance, in deliverance in verses 8 to 9. So God's mercy in distress, God's mercy in the depths, and God's mercy in deliverance here. So we'll start this morning by looking at this first stanza, God's mercy in distress in verses 1 to 4. Now, it's fair to say, I don't think it's, a, it's an overstatement to say that Jonah has been through some distressing things so far in the story. This prophet who was God's servant to his people, Israel, who had been used by God to restore part of Israel's borders in 2 Kings 14, this prophet was also then called by God to cross the border, to cross the border and go preach against the most distressing people imaginable. God called Jonah to go and preach to the, to the Assyrians, to his enemies. He called him to go to Nineveh, to the capital city of the Assyrians, who were a brutally cruel nation, to go and preach God's word to them. And this call brought lots of distress into Jonah's life. It distressed his own sense of safety going into the heart of his enemies. It distressed his sense of his nation's security, thinking that God might actually help the enemies who, played an who posed an existential risk to the people of Israel. And it caused distress on his understanding of who God is. It stretched and almost to the point of breaking 
Jonah's understanding of God's mercy, of how God carried out his mercy, of who God's mercy is truly for. This was a distressing call for Jonah. In response to this call, he fled. He went to the opposite direction of Nineveh. He got on a boat and tried to go to Tarshish, about as far away from Nineveh as he could get. And it even tells us that he was trying to flee from the distressing presence of God. But that then only led Jonah into more distress, right? As, as God hurled a great wind on the sea, as he cast a mighty storm upon his boat, a storm that threatened to destroy Jonah and the other sailors. And in the midst of that distress, Jonah and the, and the sailors, they realized their only hope was to throw Jonah overboard, was to forfeit his life for the lives of the other sailors. And so that's what we saw at the end of chapter 1, that the sailors, they cast Jonah into the sea, and there the prophet, he's submerged into the distress of being drowned by the waves. He's cast into the storm. He's facing certain death. But then something amazing happens. God appoints, he appoints a great fish to swallow Jonah. God in his action, in his sovereignty as a creator, he appoints a part of his creation, a great fish, a whale, to come and swallow Jonah up. Just as all seemed lost, just as it seemed that this unfaithful prophet would receive death for his failure, God's mercy arrived in the sensational form of a great fish. And so in the belly of the fish, after being delivered from the distress of death, Jonah, he cries out, he prays, I called out to the Lord out of my distress, and he answered me. Out of the belly of Sheol I cried, and you heard my voice. Now notice the, the language here. By this point, we've already been told twice that Jonah is in the belly of the whale, in the belly of the great fish. But now here he is claiming that he cried out to God when he was in the belly of Sheol, in the belly of Sheol. Now this word Sheol, this was a Hebrew term that, that, that was used uh, to describe the, the world of the dead or the place of the dead. This word Sheol was used in, in Jewish, liter at that, Jewish literature at that time to describe what we might uh, call the, the underworld or the netherworld today. This world Sheol kind of describes a little bit different, but it kind of describes that idea for us today. So essentially what Jonah is saying is, is the text is telling us that while Jonah is now in the belly of the fish, previously he had been in the belly of Sheol. He had been in the world of the dead. He had been cast into the depths of the grave. And it was God himself who cast Jonah there, who sent him there. Jonah says, for you cast me into the deep, into the hearts of the seas, and the flood surrounded me. Jonah recognizes that God was the cause of his distress that God was the author of his suffering. He was the one who brought the storm that led Jonah to be tossed into the flood. It was God's waves and billows which passed over Jonah. This was all the Lord's doing. And in the midst of this death, in the midst of that distress, Jonah sees this and he said to himself, I am driven away from your sight. And so we see here that the prophet who had sought to flee from the presence of the Lord he was now experiencing the horror and death that comes when you are truly cast out of God's presence. Because to be cast away from God's presence is not to be cast into freedom. It's not to be cast into the life you always wanted. To be cast away from God's presence is to be cast into the world of death. Because God is the author of life. He is himself life. 
be outside of his presence is to be in death, to be in hell. Jonah is cast outside of the sight of the Lord. He is plunged into a world of death. But even there, even in that place of death, even in the grave, God's mercy breaks through. Jonah turns from saying that he was driven God's sight. Instead, he declares that he himself will again look upon your holy temple. This first stanza ends, it ends with a confident hope that Jonah, who thought he had been cast out of God's presence, he will actually once again look upon the holy temple of God. He will look upon the temple where God's presence dwelt in the midst of his people. Jonah goes from being cast out of God's presence to knowing that one day he will once again see God's presence. He will be in God's presence in the temple. And so the question for us is, what changed? What changed in Jonah's life? How did he go from such distress to such hope in verse 4? And the answer, and this, and this sounds kind of weird, but the answer is that Jonah had been delivered from one belly into another. From one belly into another, from the belly of Sheol, the belly of the grave, into the belly of the great fish. From a place of certain death to a new place where he was saved from death, even if he had yet to be restored to the fullness of life. In the midst of his distress, God's mercy had come to Jonah in a most unexpected, a most sensational way. Instead of being swallowed up by death, Jonah was swallowed up by mercy. And it's important for us to see this this morning because our lives too are so often filled with distress. We too have times, either because of our own foolishness or because of life in a fallen, corrupted world, we too have times where we feel completely submerged in distress, in suffering, in sorrow. Submerged to the point where it seems like even God himself has cast us away. That even we are cast out of his sight. But when we look to Jonah's prayer here, we are reminded that God still has a plan for us, even in our distress. That he is sovereign even over these things. That God is sovereign even over the hardships we endure. That he can break into even the most severe sorrow with the unexpected hope of his mercy. As the hymn writer put it, when through the deep waters I call you to go, the rivers of sorrow will not overflow, for I will be with you your troubles to bless and sanctify to you your deepest distress. That is the hope we have. That is the God we have. And that's not to say that God promises to remove our distress, to remove our hardship during our lives here on earth. But the Bible tells us that he does promise to overrule, to use even our suffering, even our failure, to carry out his merciful purposes in our lives, his merciful purposes for the world. And Jonah, he starts to see this in the belly of the whale. And so he prays with a new confidence that full deliverance will come, that he who had fled God's presence will once again see the temple, the place of God's presence. And as Jonah continues to pray then, we see how, how God's mercy goes even deeper. Because not only do we see God's mercy in distress, we also see God's mercy in the depths. In the depths, that's our second stanza here this morning in verses 5 to 7, God's mercy in the depths. You know, one of my biggest fears in life, besides the movie Pinocchio, uh, one of my biggest fears in life is, is heights, is heights, right? For whatever reason, ever since I was a kid, I've always had a fear of heights, 
And I don't know why, but if I get up, like if I'm high up on like a roller coaster or something, I just, you know, I get kind of freaked out. I get kind of dizzy, kind of queasy. Um, I don't know why that is. Airplanes I'm fine with for some reason because it feels like your own, little, your own little room, your own little tube up in the sky. So I have no problem with that. But uh, for, for most of my life, I just had a fear of heights. My other biggest fear, in case you're wondering, is sharks. So spending a week uh, re studying a passage about a guy who gets swallowed by a big fish has been quite an uh, interesting experience for me this week. Um, I also don't know why all my illustrations are fear-based <laughs> this week. <laughs> I don't know if it's because Halloween's in two days or maybe I just need to talk to a counselor or something. Um, but I've always had this fear of heights, and what happens with that fear is that when I think about the idea or when I have the experience of going higher and higher, this then is the cause of my distress. My internal distress is caused by going higher and higher and higher. But in Jonah's story, it was actually the opposite. The opposite is true for Jonah. His distress is caused not by going higher and higher and higher. His distress is caused by going lower and lower and lower. He goes down not into the heights, but into the depths. You see, throughout the book, as we've read through chapters 1 and 2, the narrator has been highlighting how all of Jonah's movements have been taking him downward. It's fascinating to see this language. You know, go back to chapter 1. God, he called Jonah to arise. In verse 2 of chapter 1, he told him to rise, to go up. Uh, but instead, Jonah went down to Joppa. He went down to Joppa where he found a, a ship going to Tarshish. And then he went down into the ship. And then when the storm began, it was discovered that Jonah had gone down into even the bowels, the inner part of the ship, where he had fallen asleep. And the captain of the ship came to Jonah and called him again to arise and call out to his God. Once again, instead of going up, Jonah ends up getting cast down into the stormy sea. And then he's cast down even further. He's swallowed down into the belly of the fish. And then in chapter 2, Jonah recalls how he had been in the very belly of Sheol. He had gone down into the deepest place of the dead, into the pit. And then in verse 5, Jonah, he carries this imagery on. He says that the waters closed in over me to take my life. The deep surrounded me. Weeds were wrapped about my head at the roots of the mountains. Think about that. As a result of his disobedience, Jonah is saying that he was cast down into the very lowest place he could go, to the very roots of the mountains. He says this. He's, he's gone deeper and deeper and deeper. He has gone down, down, down into death because of his, his disobedience. He says in verse 6, I went down to the land whose bars closed up on me forever. Jonah was in such a deep world of death that any hope of returning upward had been cut off. That he was in a, in a world cast into the depths of the sea, into the depths of death itself. He was so deep in that the bars of life, the bars of the world had closed upon him forever. Completely submerged in the depths of death. But then look at the turn at the end of verse 6. Remember Jonah, he's been going down, down, down into the depths of death. But then he declares in verse 6, yet you brought my life up. You brought my life up from the pit, O Lord my God. Jonah says that he's been going down, but God himself has come and brought him up, brought him up out of the pit. And when Jonah speaks of the pit here, this is another uh, Old Testament word, another word that describes for us, that creates an image for us of, of death itself, of Sheol, of the world of the dead. Jonah is, is saying that in his disobedience, he has gone down and down and down further and deeper into death, into the world of the dead. But even there, 
Even in that place, God worked his mercy to bring Jonah's life up from the pit of death. And here we're reminded of David's prayer in Psalm 103 that we read at the start of this service where he prays, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. And what are his benefits? What are his blessings? Well, David says, Who, who forgives all your iniquity, who heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit, who crowns you with steadfast love and mercy. See, as we read the Bible throughout Scripture, we see again and again and again that even when we are submerged in the depths of death, even when our own hope for life is closed off, that there is a God who can go into the depths of the grave to redeem, to rescue our lives from the pit. And Jonah had fled at the thought of God offering this kind of mercy to his enemies, at the thought of God raising them up from the pit. But then here, when Jonah himself was submerged in the depths, when he faced the same kind of judgment that he wanted for his enemies, when he saw the horror and the death that come when you're separated from God's presence, he came to see that God's mercy was the only hope he had left. But he also came to know that God's mercy was the only hope he truly needed. And so he says in his prayer, when my life was fainting away, I remembered the Lord. And my prayer came to you, into your holy temple. As Jonah's life wasted away unto death, he remembered that the Lord, he remembered the Lord he was trying to escape. He remembered a God who can hear our prayers even in the place of death. A God who can bring us up from the depths in his steadfast love, in his mercy. In Jonah's story here, it's echoed by a story Jesus himself tells in Luke chapter 15. The famous story of the prodigal son. Right? This is a story Jesus tells where there, there's a father who had two sons. And the younger of these two sons, he told his father, Hey, father, I wish you were dead. So give me the money that I'm going to get when you die. Give me my inheritance and let me go and live my life. So the father, surprisingly, shockingly, he gives the inheritance to the younger son. He gives him his share of the, the property, the money, and, and the younger son takes it, and he goes off to a far country, and he, he lives recklessly, he lives wastefully, and he, he wastes his inheritance on wild living. And, and the, the, his foolishness leads then this younger son to his lowest point. He too descends into the depths of despair and sin. He gets a job feeding pigs because he's so poor. And he's so hungry that as he's feeding the pigs, he was desperate to eat the slop that the pigs were eating. But Jesus then tells us at this point in the story, when the younger son is at his lowest, when he came to himself, he remembered his father's house. He remembered how his father had servants who have more than enough bread to eat. And so this rebellious son who's reached his lowest point, he declares what in Luke 15, 18? He says what? He says, I will arise and go to my father. I will arise and go to my father and I will no longer tell him, say to him, father, I will say to him, father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. And so the son, he, he rises and he goes to his father. Then listen to what happens next. As this younger son is walking back to his father's house, as he's rehearsing his apology speech to try and get accepted as a servant, Jesus tells us, but while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion 
and ran and embraced him and kissed him. This father who's been so shamefully sinned against, he, he runs to his son. He embraces him. He kisses him. He welcomes him home. He doesn't hear the son's apology or the son's desire to be treated as merely a servant. He gets a ring for his finger. He gets the best robe to put on him. He puts shoes on his feet. He kills the fattened calf and throws a celebration. He fully restores this rebellious son back into his family. And he throws a party because the son of his was dead and is alive again. He had been in the place of death, but he was brought back into the place of life. He had been lost, but he was found. He had been down, but he has been brought up again from the pit. And some of us are here this morning and we are lost. Some of us know people who are lost, who are cast down into the depths, who like Jonah have gone down, down, down into the depths of sin or suffering or sorrow. We feel like we are in the very place of the dead, like our circumstances or our sin are causing our very lives to faint away. But when we turn to the pages of Scripture, when we read Jonah's prayer, when we hear Jesus' parable, we can come to our senses. We can remember our Father's house. We can remember that there is a God who hears the prayer of the afflicted, a God who pours out his mercy upon sinners and sufferers, a God who doesn't just wait for us to return to him, but a God who runs out to meet us, who descends even into the depths of death himself in order to deliver us into new life, in order to bring us back into his family. And so Jonah's prayer, it reaches its climax with a call to praise God for his mercy and deliverance, to praise God for his mercy and deliverance. So we've seen God's mercy in distress, God's mercy in the depths, and then finally God's mercy in deliverance. Because in remembering the God who hears his prayers from his holy temple, Jonah's mind turns to the worthiness, to the singular sufficiency of his God to save. He declares, those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love. Jonah here, he's remembering how the, the idols of the sailors did nothing to rescue them from the storm. He's, he's seen how his own idolatry, his own national pride led him into the depths of of distress and death. But he's also seen how God in his steadfast love provided a way for him to be rescued, a way for him to be saved even from death. He has seen how God was merciful, was faithful to him even in disobedience, even in death. And so he declares that if we look to vain idols, if we try and find our life, our salvation in any person or any thing or any movement or any institution apart from God, then we'll only be led into distress and death. But if we look to these vain eyes, we'll never be delivered into the true life we need. We'll never find the true deliverance that can save us. Because this true deliverance can only come from the hope of God's steadfast love. And this term here that Jonah uses, steadfast love, this was a term that was used throughout the Old Testament, especially in the Psalms, to describe God's covenant grace. His covenant grace is faithfulness to his people even when they didn't deserve it. Throughout the Bible, this grace, this covenant love is, is poured out by God for his people and it's based not on their worthiness or their merit. It's based on God's promises, on his faithfulness to himself, on his own faithful, compassionate, merciful 
character and the steadfast love, it led God, it led him to mercifully rescue his prophet even from the depths of death. And the steadfast love of God also led him to mercifully rescue us as well. If we believe to rescue us by going into the depths of death himself. Because as we looked at last week, Jesus references the story of Jonah in Matthew chapter 12. He says in chapter 12, verses 39 through 40, as he's uh, been asked for a sign from the religious leaders, Jesus says in these verses, he says, no sign will be given except the sign of the prophet Jonah. For just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. Jesus is saying that what Jonah experienced in the belly of the whale is a sign, is is a pointer forward to what he is going to experience as he is killed on the cross, as he is buried in a tomb where he will be for three days before he rises on the third day. You see, Jonah was a prophet. He was a servant of God who went down, down, down into the depths of death because of his disobedience, because of his own failure. But Jesus is the greater prophet. He's the ultimate prophet. And he also went down, down, down into the depths of death. But he did so not out of disobedience. He did so out of obedience. He did so in obedience to the call of his father, to the merciful plan of God to go down into the depths to rescue sinners and sufferers. He did so because we, like Jonah, have gone down into the pit of death ourselves. We have gone down because of our own disobedience. We, we too have rejected the commands and purposes of God. We too have trusted in vain idols and forsaken his steadfast love. We too have tried to flee from God only to discover the, the death and distress that comes from being cast out of his presence. But God did not abandon us in the pit of death. He didn't abandon us. No, he sent his son to redeem our lives from the pit to mercifully deliver us from the death and judgment we deserve by taking that death and judgment upon himself. As Paul writes in Ephesians 2, but God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. See, if we are still clinging to our idols, if we are still looking to our own efforts to deliver us from death, if we are still looking to some person or some institution or some movement or some expression or some feeling to bring our lives up out of the pit, then we will never find true hope or or true deliverance. We will never find the only hope that truly brings us out of the darkness of death into the light of life. Because that true hope is the mercy of God is the steadfast love of God in Christ. See, what we see here in this prayer is that even in our darkest moments, even in our darkest moments, we have the opportunity to see that God's mercy is our only hope. But if we do so, when we do so, we'll also discover that God's mercy in Christ is all we need. It's all we need. Because even as Jonah prayed in the belly of the fish, he knew that God's steadfast love was the only reason he had been spared, and he knew it was the only hope he had to be fully delivered back into the land of the living. 
So Jonah promises to praise and sacrifice to the God who alone can mercifully deliver him. He cries out in hope and praise. He declares at the climax of his prayer what we might consider to be uh, the, the great theme of the Bible itself, of Christianity itself. He cries out that salvation belongs to the Lord. Salvation belongs to the Lord. Jonah declares this. And then God commands the fish to vomit Jonah up onto dry land. And if Jonah could make this great cry, if he could declare that salvation belongs to the Lord when he was in the belly of the whale, how much more can we make the same declaration if we are in Christ? Right? We're not in the belly of a whale. We're not submerged in the ways. If you believe in Jesus, the Bible says we are actually in Christ. We are united with him. He is our, our hope and our life. We are finding life and deliverance and mercy in him. And so if we are in him, how much more can we say, even in the midst of suffering, even in the midst of sorrow, even in the midst of despair, that salvation belongs to the Lord? Because we haven't been walking back home rehearsing our apology, hoping that our Father might accept us as a servant. No, the Father has run out to us. He has already sent our perfect older brother to go into the far country, to go into the pit of death for us. And then he came back out again. He rose again. He, he rose to new life, and, and he can bring us out too. He can bring us from the depths into new life. He can bring us back into the family of God. Our lives can be fully redeemed from the pit because Christ fully went all the way down into that pit himself. He fully took on our death and our judgment himself, and then he rose again. And so in him, we can be raised up to heights of life and joy and security that no distress, no darkness, not even death itself can take away from us. And so we can give our lives now to him in devotion, in praise, in sacrifice. Because in Christ we can know without a shadow of a doubt that even in the depths of death, salvation belongs to the Lord. Or, as we've already sung it this morning, unto the grave, what will we sing? Christ, he lives. Christ, he lives. And what reward will heaven bring? Everlasting life with him. There we will what? There we will rise to meet the Lord. Their sin and death will be destroyed. And we will feast in endless joy when Christ is ours forevermore. That's our hope this morning. So let's pray. Merciful Father, we praise you this morning as Jonah did, that salvation belongs to the Lord. That even the depths of our sin, the depths of our sorrow, the, death of, the depths of death in a fallen world, that none of that is enough to keep out your salvation. None of that is enough to keep you from being able to, to break into our sorrows with your mercy. So Lord, I lift up uh, this church. I lift up everyone who, who's here feeling submerged, feeling hopeless, feeling like the bars have been closed off above them. Lord, show us, the, the, show us your Son who has broken through those bars, who suffered the death and judgment we deserve, who has fully entered the pit, endured the pit of death to bring us into new life, to, to raise us up with him. 
Let that be our hope, not in our own efforts, not in our own vain idols, but in the mercy of the mercy, the steadfast love that you have shown, that you have poured out for us in Christ. Help us to find rest in him, even in the challenges of our circumstances, to find hope in him as we deal with suffering and temptation. Show us anew your mercy this morning and help us to praise your name in response and to declare, with other, to, declare to others that salvation belongs to the Lord. We pray all this in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Well, let's respond by standing and singing another uh, few songs together. So please stand with us.
to praise him and let's put the focus on this last song on our just pure praise and worship of our, our God in heaven. Um, so let's sing now. and Jonathan for being with us and leading us this morning and thank you all for for being here with us to worship Uh, as we go let's go with a word of benediction from 1 Corinthians 15 uh, a chapter where Paul focuses and reminds us on on the hope we have in the risen Christ who delivers us from death he writes therefore my beloved brothers be steadfast immovable always abounding in the work of the Lord knowing that in the Lord Your labor is not in vain. Amen. Go in peace. 